0: What's up everybody? How you doing? Welcome back. It is time once again for another episode of the Politics and Punk Rock podcast. I am Andrew for America. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to start the show today with a crazy ass article. <laughs> Oh boy, talk about Big Brother is watching you, people. Take a listen to this. I'm going to read you this little article. Just, you know, just think about it, okay? Um, Let me bring it up here real quick. Oh my gosh, here we go. This is from Futurism magazine. Uh, Also, they have some pretty good sweet hot takes. Uh, on the memes that they post, and a very informative uh, cyber world, big brother, AI um, news and information uh, about the coming inevitable tech future that we have been talking about here on the show. This article reads, Apple... <coughs> excuse me. <fuck. coughs> Apple will scan every iPhone for images of child sexual abuse. This will break the dam. Governments will demand it from everyone, is how this article begins. Now, before I read this to you, I just want to maybe run a bit of a conspiracy theory, I guess you could call this. Baya, okay? This is just me pontificating. I have no facts or evidence to back up this claim that I am about to make, okay? So don't shoot the messenger. Don't go clipping my words and posting it on bullshit, saying that, oh, Andrew for America said this and... Oh, this guy needs to, you know, be deplatformed, okay? Just just I'm not saying I have all the facts and evidence, okay? I'm just going to make an interesting prediction, and this was my original thought when I started to read this, okay? Let's just say for the sake of argument, theoretically speaking, that all the QAnon Conspiracy bullshit stories about the adrenochrome and the uh, you know your your president Biden gaffmaster keeps um, clearly he's worried about it. He's sniffing kids and he's he's uh, Freudian slipping in his um, in his you know a couple of these recent interviews where he gets pissed off at the at the uh, media person. And he's like, oh, you think we're uh, drinking the blood of kids? We're sucking the blood of kids. <laughs> <laughs> why are you so worried about that? Why why is that in your head, Biden? Why do you keep bringing that up? <laughs> okay, so let's just say, okay, given what we've seen that a lot of these rich elite assholes actually are trafficking children, committing sexual acts on children, fucking up their brains from an early age. Keeping, keeping them around as sex slaves. Passing them, passing them around to your Epsteins and your Prince Andrews and your whoever else. You know, uh, Dershowitz. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay, so let's just say, for the sake of argument, that all that shit's true. Okay? I'm not saying it is, but for the sake of what I'm about to talk about. I know, this is a lot of preface, but in this day and age, you gotta do it. You know what I'm saying? Okay? Wouldn't this be... A perfect solution to the sick, pedophile elitists of this world. To be able to use their marriage between big government and big business, especially the big tech giants. To go, hey, we're going to look through your phone. And we're going to find out. If you got kitty porn on there, if you got snuff films on there, if you got sick sadomasochism bullshit going on with underage people, etc., right? The power and control that these tech monopolies and anyone that knows their, their shit when it comes to AI and computers and cyber world, blah, 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 blah right? That privacy, people. I said it in a previous podcast, the Big Brother episode. It is going away, and this story, this article illustrates that. You don't think that these companies aren't going to come out and say, "Oh, guess what? We're we're searching the phones for, you know, we got to crack down on sex trafficking and we got to go save these kids, right?" So we're going to look through your phones against your will. Illegal search and seizure. This is unconstitutional behavior. And they're, they're outright telling you in the press they are going to do this. You don't think they're going to use that technology to look through your phone for literally whatever the fuck they want to look through your phone for? You don't think they're not going to be able to find things that they can use against you? If you speak out, if you're a, you know, a ruffler of feathers, (laughs) if you're the monkey wrench, the pain in the ass, the thorn in your side, that nagging mosquito that just won't stop biting you. (laughs) People, it's a brave new Orwellian police state, surveillance state, totalitarian dictatorship world that we are marching towards. It's coming faster and faster and faster. Here we go. Apple has announced that it will scan every photo uploaded to its iCloud photos in the United States for images of child sexual abuse. And you know what? If they find it, they'll probably go tell their crony buddies who are actually these sick fucks that do this shit, if that's in fact true. I don't know that it's true or not. I can neither confirm nor deny. I do not have any facts on evidence. Okay? We're just theoretically speaking here, people. Okay? Let's just say you're you're a Joe Biden pedophile, right? You're a creepy Joe type of guy out there in the world. And you have the power to say, hey, if you find any child pornography on people's phones, uh, Apple, and... Let's just say you found some on, oh I don't know, my phone. <laughs> Joe Biden. Don't you think he's gonna be like, hey, you know what? We're gonna check everybody's phones, but we're just not gonna check these people. You don't think they're gonna leave the the IP addresses and the MAC ID numbers and the router, um you know, the how you how you locate uh know specific uh ipads and phones and computers you know you have to look at the mac address the of your of your platform or your what the fuck am i talking about what device jesus christ whatever device you're using every device has a unique identifier number okay god damn it i cannot fucking spit it out today and i don't know i'm just saying it's gonna be very easy for these people to look at everybody's shit but you know The select few, we're not going to look at their stuff, you know? It's like Orwell's Animal Farm. All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others, people. (laughs) Oh, God. The tech giant, however, isn't algorithmically scanning each image for problematic content. Instead, it will be comparing each photo against a known database of what experts call child sexual abuse material if it finds any it will report the user the user to law enforcement now on the surface the initiative appears to be a morally sound effort to root out sexual abuse and identify perpetrators but privacy advocates worry that the invasive technology could eventually be expanded to scan phones for other types of content as well think Pirated files or signs of, here we go, political dissent in totalitarian countries. (laughs) Or, let's be real, any country that uses devices, iPads, phones, computers, even TVs now. It's particularly troubling development. It is a particularly... Troubling development because Apple has a huge interest in continuing to sell its products in China, a country where the government has put a tremendous amount of pressure on tech companies to give it access to user data. In fact, Apple has already given into China's demands in the past, agreeing to host user data for Chinese users in Chinese data centers. Uh, that This was pointed out by Wired magazine. The system will be included in upcoming versions of iOS, macOS, and iPadOS images uploaded uh, to iCloud Photos. Apple's cloud-based photo storing service will be compared to a list of images compiled by the U.S. National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and other child safety organizations. Wow. 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 Apple further transforms this database into an unreadable set of hashes that is securely stored in users on users' devices, the company website reads. In other words, files will be stored as hashes and then compared to the known database of CSAM, Child Sexual... What does that acronym stand for? Child Sexual Abuse Material, okay? Apple does not... Learn anything about images that do not match the known CSAM database, quote unquote, the company clarified in a PDF accompanying the announcement. (laughs) You believe that people? (laughs) They think you're fucking stupid. I mean, they're basically telling their PR team is telling you in this news release in these articles, they're telling you what they're going to do. Oh, but we got the moral high ground. We would never do such a thing outside of the parameters of, oh, God, give me a fucking break. <laughs> so what about false positives? Being falsely accused of child pornography could be a huge problem. A- Apple claims, quote, less than one in one trillion chance per year of incorrectly flagging a given account, unquote. Boy, the balls, the balls that they these companies have. Remember when Ted Cruz was saying, you know, these companies are literally telling Congress. You know, any watchdog dog group, any, you know, uh, monitor of the situation, uh, oversight committees are all getting the same response from these companies. You know, go fuck yourself. Go jump in a lake. And if we, you know, have to settle out of court for any lawsuits that come against us, fine. We got the money. We got money coming out of our ears. We don't give a shit. Right. These people are taking over the fucking world, people. It is almost checkmate. The final, <laughs> the final uh, nails in the coffin of national auto determination are upon us. The rule of this world by the intel an intellectual elite and world bankers is surely preferable to the national auto determination practiced in past centuries. David Rockefeller. And then this article goes on to say um Employees will also manually uh, verify any flags and only then make the decision to call the cops. Despite the safeguards, though, security researchers argue it's a slippery slope. (laughs) Boy, is it ever. Regardless of what Apple's long-term plans are, they've sent a very clear signal. In their very influential opinion... It is safe to build systems that can scan users' phones for prohibited content, says Matthew Green, a security researcher at none other than Johns Hopkins University. Whether they turn out to be right or wrong on that point hardly matters, he added. This will break the dam. Governments will demand it from everyone. Nadim Kobiisi, a cryptographer, told Wired magazine that the initiative is a very, very slippery slope and that he definitely will be switching to an Android phone if this continues. So there you go, people. It's coming. I've been telling you. I've been telling you. It's coming. And you know what? Switching to Android phone isn't going to make any difference because it's only a matter of time before the guys and gals that run that organization get in bed with government too. and The government's going to get their way. Money talks, bullshit walks. Follow the money. Just follow the money. Who's getting funded? Who's getting paid? It's going to tell you a very much more accurate story than what you're seeing on your mainstream media news networks, people. And say what you will about the honors of the world. History's gonna decide how much of that bullshit conspiracy theory, uh, or a group, rather, an a of a collection of conspiracy theories that whoever made those videos put in there, how much of it was truth, how much of it was fiction. We all know it was election year, so, you know, whoever I would venture a guess that whoever created those uh, QAnon videos and set up the whole uh thing, I mean, god, they had like Q drops on what's that uh, site um whatever computer nerd sites are out there in the dark web and uh, you know, you can people can post the most disgusting crazy shit and you know, who knows when that stuff's going away too. You know, privacy's going away, people. <laughs> And part of me I've said it before, I kind of like it cuz people are going to get exposed. The you know, all the world's a stage and we're all merely players, right? The mask. The figurative mask that you people wear. Not your covid masks. <laughs> I mean the mask, the you know, defined as the way you portray yourself to the world about who you are, who you are. The information that you communicate uh, communicate to others the body language, the words, the tone of voice, the general demeanor. Some people are absolutely brilliant prodigies at deception, and lying, and deceiving. Um, you know, like you ever heard uh, stories about like serial killers, like Ted Bundy, and uh, I guess maybe even Jeffrey Dahmer. I mean, I don't think the guy was a looker. But, you know, these guys are very, very, you know, good at what they do. They're very manipulative. They're very very narcissistic. They're very courageous. And I'm not, like, glorifying them by any means, but I'm just saying the, the amount of brain and intelligence it takes to pull off some of these crimes is, you know, you can't be an idiot and get away with this shit is what I'm saying. Obviously, uh, uh, you know. I don't know if you've read. Oh, what the the site's called 4chan. That's right. You guys have heard about 4chan, right? I mean, it is. If you don't know what 4chan is, and you go look it up on the internet, on the interwebs, and you you know, I'm just going to warn you: you might not be prepared mentally for what you're going to read, and possibly see, on some of those message boards and some of those crazy, darker. Sites, and I'm not advocating for it. I'm not trying to promote it. I'm just talking here. I'm just theoretically speaking about some of the crazy conspiracy bullshit that you and I have been force-fed over the course <laughs> of my uh, of the past few years. That was my stomach. If you heard that, hopefully you got a chuckle. <laughs> Uh, I have not eaten breakfast yet, people. I woke up and I read this article and I just had to start recording. I was like, I'm talking about this stuff. And I got a bunch of new uh, other stuff we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Ray Kurzweil today, uh, people, uh, the uh, founder of Google. And his book, The Singularity is Near. I highly recommend it. That stuff's going to blow your mind. Every time I read it, it just absolutely captivates me and makes me feel like a little peon grain of sand in a desert. <laughs> Nobody, nothing. And you're gonna see why. Oh, let's move on. The future is frightening, terrifying. I'm glad that I'm as old as I am. I don't know if, you know, intelligent, grounded, self-sufficient, courageous people are going to be in, in our future. Sometimes I fear that this stuff is, you know, it's going to turn us into, like I said, mindless automatons that do as we're told and never rock the boat and never question anything. And we just keep popping our somas and falling in line, following the leader, left, right, left, right, off the cliff to our inevitable doom. I mean, you know, are Terminators coming? Is uh, Skynet coming? (laughs) Is the Matrix real? When does science fiction become science fact, my fellow Americans? Okay, so here's another article. Listen to this. Uh, This is from Bloomberg Opinion by a guy named Tyler Cowen. Um, Found this to be an interesting article. Here, let's read about Tyler He's a Bloomberg opinion columnist. Hmm, this is already suspect, but I found it interesting. He is a professor of economics at George Mason University and writes for the blog Marginal Revolution. His books include The Complacent Class, The Self-Defeating Quest for the American Dream. Hmm, interesting. Let's hear what Tyler has to say. How weird is the future going to be? Just a little bit or plain, flat-out, radically, unthinkably weird? And is the future a thousand years from now or a hundred? The notion that the future will be weirder than we think and come sooner is a possibility raised by Holden Karnofsky, the co-chief executive officer of Open Philanthropy. It's an intriguing and provocative idea. One complicating factor will be different forms of genetic engineering. As genomics progresses, we will be able to alter the future course of humanity. The simplest method is embryo selection, by which parents can choose a boy rather than a girl, or a child with some characteristics rather than than others. Our ability to do this will become increasingly precise more direct forms of genetic manipulation will likely be feasible as well. I'm going to pause right there. What does that make you think about, people? That makes me think about mRNA, vaccines. That makes me think about the unconstitutionalism of forcing vaccinations, mandating vaccinations, inoculations on the public by the government. And I've told you before, what if they're, people, what if they're trafficking children also, if they're harvesting human bodies for adrenochrome, then what's to stop them from harvesting the body for stem cell research for organ donor people that need organs who's to say that they're not trafficking kids for more than just sex people what if they're trafficking people brand like as if they are branded cattle And remember when the guy in the Big Brother's Watching You episode said, you know, the mark of the beast, they're going to microchip you? Doesn't that remind you of being numbered in concentration camps in Germany? Doesn't that remind you of being treated like literal cattle? Being branded? Being marked? A number? Not a name? People, this is going to be the inevitable future if this guy is right, if everything I've been saying is correct, if what... People like us have been talking about is accurate. Maybe it will be a painless concentration camp where we live in a prison for our mind. Maybe. The mind reels. This reminds me of a Nietzsche quote. Nietzsche once, Friedrich Wilhelm Nietzsche once said Pride says, I could not have done that. The mind says, I did that. Eventually, the mind yields. I think it's actually reversed. I think the quote actually goes, The mind says, I did that. Pride says, I could not have done that. And eventually, the mind yields. And the people that are in the big club, people... I mean, studies have shown that psychopathic, narcissistic people that are capable of being serial killers. Capable of, you know, being very, very intelligent people, whether you want to believe that or, or not. Are capable of treating other human beings like branded cattle. Harvesting their organs. Using their bodies for sexual disgustingness. It's happened throughout history. The raping, pillaging, and plundering of, of you know... Countries, groups, tribes by other countries, groups, tribes. It's human nature, people. And no progressive movement, bleeding heart, social justice warrior, immature, ridiculous, nonsense bullshit is going to ever change that. And the sooner we all get that through our heads the more easy it's going to be to understand why it is so important to teach, to educate. You got, you got to participate and agree to a social contract. You got to follow the law. You got to hold people accountable and be courageous and call them out when they're not doing things the way they're supposed to be done, when they're not adhering to principle. Okay. Let's move on. Sorry, that was a brief aside. I went on down a wormhole tangent. Sorry. Sorry. Here we go. Moving on. Perhaps most parents will not want to do this aside from protecting their children against potential birth defects. You know, gene alter, gene manipulation, you know, CRISPR, all that stuff. But clearly some parents will. And so humanity will be divided into groups with different genetic histories. That has not happened in the recent history of humankind. And you know what that makes me think about? That makes me think about ancient alien theory and about uh, our ancient history and how, you know, there are certain uh, historic landmarks throughout the world that are all very precisely lined up with the stars and have, you know, you know, Part man, part animal, uh, people that were revered as gods. You know, We're moving into non-binary people now and, and people that claim to be asexual. You know, maybe gender is going away. Maybe we're turning into asexual, um, you know, part man, part machine, part man, part animal. Who knows? Who knows what gene manipulation is gonna mean for the future of the human race. Some people are trying to figure out how to make us immortal so we can never die. And if we ever achieve that, don't you think that it's only a matter of time before the capability of our civilization is going to be there for us to travel through time, maybe travel back in time and seed other planets, creating new life forms in our own Image. Another very real possibility is exactly that longevity research, the longevity research uh, idea is fruitful. It now seems increasingly possible that we can tinker with various biological clocks to extend lifetimes and slow down the aging process. Longer life expectancy is hardly new, but this too would represent a fundamental break. There could be many people who live well past 100 years old and without major health problems. Assuming that these advances do not spread to all people at once, again, the world will be divided. Some will pursue the goal of escape velocity, trying to live long enough so that new cures for that impending death will be discovered, for example. Along the way, neural engineering might give us the power to move and alter physical objects just by using our minds. I wonder if the people that uh, built the pyramids out of bricks that it, it's nearly impossible to believe were lifted by a group of human beings even you know, using modern technology... It's difficult to believe that that was possible. Hey, maybe, uh, you know, maybe the uh, ancient aliens that seeded this planet gave us secret information about how to maybe use alchemy and energy to perform miracles. You know what I'm saying, people? It is likely. Along the way, neural engineering might give us the power to move and alter physical objects objects just by using our minds. This is already possible with monkeys, albeit in limited fashion. Okay, so this is the beginning. Everything that has a beginning has an end, right? Progress, although maybe very, very slow, is still progress, right? It is likely that we will have definitive evidence of intelligent life on other planets, as our ability to search for chemical and electromagnetic extraterrestrial signals has been increasingly steadily, has been increasing steadily. Imagine a future where we learn we are not alone in the universe, even if alien life remains at a great distance. Some NASA scientists predict signs of alien life will be found by the year 2025. And people, a lot of people are saying that, that disclosure is coming. A lot of people are saying that we already have extraterrestrials on government payroll. (laughs) If you can believe that. Who knows? Right? I told you. I did three episodes. It is crazy times. We are living in. At some point, we will have the capability to create self-replicating space probes. We'll send them into space and try to seed life throughout the galaxy, thereby making us godlike, along at least one dimension, even if success takes millions of years. Some future Elon Musk will do it, even if no one, even if no government does. And you know what? That might not be necessarily true because if we stomp down on entrepreneurship and innovation? I don't know. Maybe we will never achieve these crazy, crazy futuristic goals. And are they goals? Are they achievements? I mean, I guess they are in a way of speaking, but if it eliminates your uh, species from the world, I don't know. Maybe it's in our nature to destroy ourselves like I've said in the past. Um, Here we go. Alternatively, we might create additional life forms right here on Earth through artificial general intelligence. You might think that this is not an especially sound idea, but if if it can be done, odds are that someone will do it. The secondary consequences of such advances are difficult to forecast, but they would probably change many different facets of human life, most of all our jobs. Hmm creating new and original biological life forms also could happen and it might radically disrupt many of our ecosystems more speculatively there is the slight possibility that aliens aliens will visit earth and reveal themselves given the recent us government report on uaps the term for what used to be called U, ufo's give us at least a 1% chance of already Having happened, just imagine if all or most of those developments came together over a period of several decades. It is no longer ridiculous science fiction to expect this. Hmm. Very, very interesting, deep stuff, in my humble opinion. All right, let's go. To this, I think I got a video uh, of the man himself, Ray Kurzweil, The Singularity is Near. Okay, so The Singularity is Near, When Humans Transcend Biology, is a 2005 nonfiction book about artificial intelligence and the future of human, uh, I'm sorry, the future of humanity by inventor and futurist Ray Kurzweil. Kurzweil describes his law of accelerating returns, which predicts an exponential increase in technologies like computers, genetics, nanotechnology, robotics, and artificial intelligence. Since the singularity has been reached... I'm sorry... Once the singularity has been reached, Kurzweil says that machine intelligence will be infinitely more powerful than all human intelligence combined. Afterwards, he predicts intelligence will radiate outward from the planet until it saturates the universe. The singularity is also the point at which machines intelligence and humans would merge. Kurzweil characterizes evolution throughout all time as, regret, um, as progressing through six epochs, each one building on the one before. He says the four epochs which have occurred so far are physics and chemistry, biology and DNA, brains and technology. Kurzweil predicts the singularity will coincide with the next epoch, the merger of human technology with human intelligence. After the singularity, he says, the final epoch will occur. The universe will wake up. Interesting. Uh, Kurzweil calls this exponential growth uh, the law of accelerating returns, and he believes it applies to many human created technologies such as computer memory, transistors, microprocessors, DNA sequencing, magnetic storage, the number of internet hosts, internet traffic, decrease in device size, meaning probably Neuralink being stuck in your brain, and nanotech citations and patents. Kurzweil cites two historical examples of exponential growth, the Human Genome Project and the growth of the Internet. Hmm. So, who knows? Is this possible? Is there going to be a singularity that is reached where, you know, man and machine will merge and we will live forever? Sounds crazy, but... We're, people, we're living in an age where there are people that are working on this becoming reality. What's going to happen to all the religions of the world if all this stuff is true? Is it just the logical next step in human evolution? Um, Kurzweil says revolutions in gen- uh, genetics, nanotechnology, and robotics will usher in the beginning of the singularity. Kurzweil feels with sufficient genetic te- technology, it should be possible to maintain the body indefinitely, reversing aging while curing cancer, heart disease, and other illnesses. Much of this will be positive thanks uh, Possible Thanks to nanotechnology, the second revolution, which entails the molecule-by-molecule construction of tools which themselves can rebuild the physical world. Finally, the revolution in robotics will really be the development of strong AI defined as machines which have human-level intelligence or greater. This development will be the most important of the century, comparable in importance to the development of biology itself. So, there you go, people. Kurzweil predicts human life will be irreversibly transformed and that humans will transcend the limitations of our biological bodies and brain. He looks uh, beyond the singularity to say that the intelligence that will emerge will continue to represent the human civilization. Further, he feels that future machines will be human even if they are not biological. So, can you believe it? This is the world we're living in. This is real life. Um, and then let's, uh, let's hear some pushback. Uh, there's a common criticism of the book uh, relating to the exponential growth fallacy As an example, in 1969, man landed on the moon, (laughs) allegedly, um, extrapolating exponential growth. From there, one would expect huge lunar bases and manned missions to distant planets. Instead, exploration stalled or even regressed after that. Paul Davies writes, the key point about exponential growth is that it never lasts, often due to resource constraints on the other hand it has been shown that the global acceleration until recently followed a hyperbolic rather than exponential pattern so you know that's a sound uh hypothesis or theory or whatever if We actually landed on the moon, but what if if we didn't land on the moon, then that would explain the regression of nothing happening until, you know, now, this day and age, the 2020s, I guess. I don't know. Who knows? Crazy, crazy deep stuff. But I mean, you know, look how much, look how far we've come from, you know, actual handheld landline telephones till now you got computers in your hand tracking your every move showing you where to go so you don't get lost. The days of getting lost, people, are over. <laughs> so long as you're connected to some technology, right? You can get on online on the internet and find out anything you ever could want to know about people. You can get on your social media and talk directly to famous uh, or, or maybe the representative of famous people, influential people around the world. You can have conversations with the heroes if they respond. I mean, and this stuff is magic to your grandparents, or would be. Magic. They would define this as magic. Your uh, great-great-grandparents, or your great-grandparents, right? They would look at this and say that this is Satan. (laughs) You know? big big questions people big big theories you know and this is the kind of stuff like we're going deep today and you know the, you're you're i'm going to kind of switch gears right now this is why i'm so scared of people internalizing this woke culture progressive cancel culture identity politics uh you know collection of philosophies and theories you know critical race theory whatever because Why do you want to shut down thought? Why don't we want to reach for the stars? Act like adults. Be courageous. Be responsible. Take control of your life. Dream big. And then set those wheels in motion. I don't know. Here, let's go see if we can't find a video here of uh, Mr. Ray Kurzweil talking about his singularity. Okay, Uh, I think I got an interview with him and uh, what's that guy, Tyson? Uh, Here we go.
1: Today's guest is the one, the only, Ray Kurzweil. He's an author, he's an inventor,
2: he's an innovator,
1: and this is our conversation. Ray, welcome to the show. <clears throat> Great to be with you, Neil. Yeah, so let me just, just upfront, say I'm probably your biggest skeptic. Just so you know, that's what you got. So you ready for this?
3: Uh, you're probably not the, the biggest. Skeptic.
1: <laughs> so I want to pretend like we're just at a bar, just arguing. First, I'm angry with you for taking our word, singularity. we That word had a perfectly good use perfectly fine definition is what happens at the beginning of the universe and in the center of a black hole, and you have to go up and name it something else.
3: Yeah, well, John von Neumann actually came up with that. Okay. Uh, He said history is approaching a singularity uh, because progress is uh, accelerating at an exponential pace and it's going to reach a point where progress is so fast it's going to be a singularity in history.
1: This is John von Neumann, the the computer
3: uh, computing... Yeah, he invented the architecture that all computers use today. Uh Although actually Babbage invented it a century earlier, but John von Neumann... It was a machine he invented. Yeah, Babbage created a mechanical computer that never actually worked, but it actually had the architecture we use today. John von Neumann uh, derived it independently uh, a century later. So what's your background, actually, just so I get some sense of this? Well, I decided I was going to be an inventor when I was five. Mm -hmm. discovered the computer when I was 12. Not so amazing for 12 year olds today, but there were only like 12 computers in all New York City. <laughs> uh, oh, you're a new native New Yorker? I was 12, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I was actually. A, so I have to ask you what high school you went to. Modern have to ask Martin Van Buren High School. There was actually a IBM 1620 uh, at Flower Fifth Avenue Hospital in Spanish Harlem, which I had the midnight to 8 a.m. shift. As a what? I was programming.
1: Oh, uh, so you a computer program. person for the hospital on that computer. Yeah. In fact I created
3: the statistical tests that we use to evaluate the head start program. Oh wow. Okay. Like analyses of variance and so on. Oh. Wow. So you go way back. Yeah, well it's only fifty years.
1: <laughs> okay. You go way back in a human lifetime, not in a cosm- cosmological mm-hmm. timescale. So so at what point you wrote a book called The Singularity. There was you The know, Singularity back is back in near to <laughs> This is what like cult leaders this <laughs> The End is well, Near. Well, that, it, back, is, back in 2006,
3: you it, write this book. It is a play on The End is Near.
1: Okay. Yeah. What did you predict at that time?
3: Well, actually, going back to a book I wrote in the 1990s, The Age of Spiritual Machines, I predicted that... The like, Age of Spiritual Machines. Yeah. Okay. Uh, by 2029, computers would have all of the uh, intellectual and emotional capabilities of humans, and so they would be spiritual machines. And And conversely, we are spiritual machines because our brains are... Composed of 300 million modules that recognize patterns. Each of those modules has 100 neurons. Those neurons have ion channels and dendrites and axons, and basically you can describe based on physics, mm-hmm. uh, which you know the a electrochemical pathways uh, how they work. And we can actually model them, and we are modeling and simulating the brain today. And they are so. Our each neuron is a machine. Very few people would disagree with that. Well, then, you know. Uh, the thirty billion neurons in our neocortex is a machine, also, and actually we can understand it. My, my most recent book, How to Create a Mind, talks about how that machine works. it sounds it.
1: diabolical. How to Create a Mind? What, what's going on in your basement? <laughs> you can tell uh, me. Nobody's looking. Tell me. <laughs>
3: uh, well, we are uh, understanding how human intelligence works. I mean, th- these things are brain extenders already. Yeah. We are. The, the smartphone that you point to. Uh, our brain uh, is already expanded in the cloud, but we're smarter as a result. We will directly connect our neocortex in the 2030s. Wait, 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 wait. let me, let me. Well, the last time we did that was 2 million years ago when we went from primates to humanoids and we got these large foreheads and we had the frontal cortex, which is where we do language and art and science and physics uh, and radio shows. No other species does that, but it's not qualitatively different. The the frontal cortex is actually, was just an additional quantity Of neocortex. The neocortex is organized in a hierarchy, and we took that additional neocortex and put it at the top of the hierarchy. And as you go up the hierarchy, things get more abstract. So things like music and poetry exist at the top of the neocortical hierarchy. And we're going to add to it again by connecting our neocortex to the cloud and basic to synthetic neocortex and expanding It's the way we did two million years ago, except this time it won't be limited by a fixed enclosure. We'll be able to expand it without a limit.
1: What's the difference between extending the power of your brain through some connection into uh, silicon-based intelligence versus just having access on your hip to all of that extra
3: knowledge? I I think there's no substantial difference. I mean, I think this is a brain... Because people talk about, you know, finally plugging some USB port into your... Well, the scenario I think is, that is realistic is computers are getting smaller and smaller. Uh, we'll have nanorobots at the size of blood cells that, that have computers in them. that go into the brain through the capillaries uh, and communicate with our neurons. We already know how to do that. You know, people with Parkinson's disease already have computer connections into their brain. That will communicate wirelessly to the cloud. You know, this computer on my hip communicates wirelessly to the cloud. It can multiply itself 10,000-fold by accessing thousands of computers when we need them in the cloud. It can access millions of computers of information. So a kid in Africa with a smartphone is accessing all of human knowledge with a few, few keystrokes by connecting wirelessly to the cloud. But then why have why invoke the brain-machine connection at that point? Who cares? you got the machine. Because it's a much faster interface. I mean, our fingers are very slow compared to... <laughs> how, we could have, you know, millions of...
1: I didn't know the world was going too slowly for you. You want to speed it up,
3: okay? <laughs> well, it is. I mean, how, how long does it take you to read... You know, uh, to read the, and the, write? The Brothers Karamazov. It takes, you know, months. So
1: you're suggesting to... that you can get these nanobots the size of a of your neurosynapses, let's say, and one will be preloaded with...
0: Real quick, where have you guys heard nanobots before? Remember the On Debunking Bora episode I did about that... Uh, when he... <laughs> When Borat was talking to the quote-unquote conspiracy theorists and the vaccine nanobots, oh, it's just not. Uh, the the girl says, uh, it's just not uh, possible." Or, um, you know, she just has some like blow it off answer to explain the possibility of us one day creating nanobots small enough to uh, course through your veins. And here's Neil deGrasse Tyson and Ray Kurzweil telling you that not only is it possible, they're already working on the technology. So when does conspiracy theory become absolute truth, fact? When does science fiction become science fact, people? How does innovation and, you know, progress happen? You know, think about it. Here we go. Moving on.
1: With with War and Peace, the, the novel and would somehow inject it into your neurosynaptic memory banks, and then you're done. You've got, just like in the matrix, they would load
3: memory programs into you. We will connect to neocortical hierarchies in the cloud. Some of that could have preloaded knowledge. We could communicate with each other more intimately that way. But basically, we'll expand the size of our neocortex. And that's, you know, what's the difference between a mouse and a primate is... The primate has more neocortex; it's therefore smarter, can can uh, master more levels of abstraction. And when we got these large foreheads, becoming humanoids, we had more, and that that was the enabling factor for us to invent language. In so the wireless cloud becomes the growth of our neocortex, right? Into the, the next dimension. We'll have the, the next opportunity phase. again to grow our neocortex, and once again, we'll put that additional neocortex at the top of the hierarchy.
0: And maybe that's why aliens have huge heads, because they have huge brains. <laughs> maybe.
3: And as you go up the hierarchy, the level of abstraction gets greater. So music and art and poetry and radio programs all exist at the top of that of that hierarchy. At the bottom of the hierarchy, I can tell that that rug on the floor is a straight line and very simple things like that. It's the top of the hierarchy where the interesting things happen. And we have not been able to expand it for two million years, because we have this fixed enclosure, that was very clever. Our heads are not
1: getting bigger because you, you kill the mother being born. And <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a bloody mess. So I think we've maximized the size of our head.
3: Yeah, well, that's right. Given and the size fact, of the birth and canal. That's, that's the reason uh, that we've not been able to expand it anymore. In fact, it was quite a challenge to expand it to a years ago. Even yeah. to what we have today. Yeah.
1: So why the precision in your prediction 2029? That sounds okay. audaciously precise.
3: Well, there's one thing that's surprisingly predictable, which is the pace of the exponential growth of information technology, the price, performance, and capacity of information technologies like computation, communication, now biological technologies like sequencing and also simulating biological processes, the amount of data we're getting on the brain, many different measures, not of everything, but of information technology follow amazingly precise trajectories and I growth trajectory right and they're exponential so I mean I I was looking actually it was 1981 I realized that timing was critical to being successful as an inventor it's also true for anything else you might want to do doing physics or, or romance I mean you gotta be in the right place with the right idea at the right time so I started with the common wisdom that you cannot predict the future and I made a surprising discovery Lots of things are unpredictable, but if you look at the price performance and capacity of information technology, like for example, the price performance of computing, calculations per second per constant dollar, it follows an amazingly predictable trajectory going back to the eighteen ninety American census. And so I actually projected out those curves that I had in nineteen eighty one. I had them through nineteen eighty, through twenty fifty. We're now in twenty fifteen. It's been more than 30 years later, and it's exactly where it should be. You're on the line. So that, that aspect of the future uh, is amazingly predictable. I predicted we'd, ha- we'd need search engines in the late 1990s. I made that prediction in the early 80s, because I saw the ARPANET, the predecessor to the Internet, expanding exponentially. Yeah, one of the great
1: jokes that was only a joke for six months
3: was the Internet is the world's greatest
1: library, except all the books are scattered on the floor. That was before search engines came in and within a couple
3: of years search engines
1: came and now that that reference doesn't even work
3: right well i saw that we we did have a need in the late 1990s for search engines because there'd be so much knowledge on the web that we couldn't find anything and we'd have the computation and communication resources to do a good job with that what i was not able to predict and what we can't predict is that of the 50 projects to do that it would be these couple of kids in the stanford dorm who would take over the world of search so not everything's this would be Google. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have to work very hard if I had made that prediction mm-hmm. um, and I actually took my first job ever. Uh, at least for a company I didn't start myself. So I was actually, wondering if you actually ever had a stable job
1: <laughs> or <are> you're just <laughs> well, riding on your. Uh... Well that's a
3: stable job for a pretty unusual <laughs> company. Uh, this aspect of the future is very predictable. If you measure the capacity and price performance of these different information technologies, computation, communication, biological technologies, technologies having to do with the brain, they follow these very predictable trajectories. One of the reasons you might be skeptical is it's not intuitive. Our intuition is linear. And so the difference between myself and my skeptics or critics is we're both looking at the same present and people then apply their linear intuition about the future. I mean, if you wonder, no, I can think exponentially. I'm skeptical for different reasons than that. But go on,
1: I'll get there.
3: Well, you know, I'm not. You're if not you wonder why we had, a, we have a brain, it's to predict the future.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But the kind of challenges we had, you know, fifty thousand years ago, when our brains were evolving. We're linear ones. We right? have
1: no exponential training at all. We track an you.
3: animal in the field, and we don't expect it to speed up as it goes along. We expect it to go at a constant pace. That worked very well. That became hardwired in our brains. Mm-hmm. That's our intuition about the future. And a, a linear progression, that's our intuition, goes one, two, three. An exponential one, that's a reality of information technology, is one, two, four. It doesn't sound that different, except by the time you get to step 30, the linear progression our it's intuition is at 30 the exponential one is at a billion mm-hmm. it makes it very you proud profound. of me for knowing that two to the 30th is a billion <laughs> yeah. i got that yeah. <laughs> that's good that's,
1: that's good <laughs> for now i saw, i know i got you on that my skepticism comes from a different place okay. but so here you go so you, you're right on the curve as time goes on this gives you confidence in your modeling and so
3: now you say 2029 20, what happens well actually somewhat before that we'll have the computational capacity to functionally simulate the human brain. So that's a whole discussion of what is the capacity of the human brain. And there's actually been derivations using different methodologies, all of which come to the same results. It's about 10 to the 14th calculations per second to functionally simulate the brain. That doesn't mean simulating every molecule. It means basically... 14 is a huge number. That's it, huge. It's that's pretty big. Yeah. I mean, our supercomputers are now surpass that. They're up to 10 to the 16th, mm-hmm. 10 to the 17th. Uh, but we'll have... I guess in our own, you know, when you're sitting there just watching the
1: ball game, you're not thinking you're going through 10 to the 14th calculations or thoughts well, per second. Well,
3: it's all happening simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, it's just not, it's not an active thought that our brain is that active, that's all. Well, it does have tremendous capacity, mm-hmm. but it's also limited. Uh, you know, we have these 300 million pattern recognition modules in our neocortex, and that's a lot from one perspective. That was enough for humans to invent... Music. I mean, no other animal can keep a beat. Uh, No other animal... Some humans can't either,
1: just to be clear. (laughs) (laughs)
3: I've met a a couple who could. But it's also limited. We have expanded it to some extent by connecting, at least, you know, indirectly with with devices.
1: Right, so you you project to the future some point where computational ability and storage...
3: Well, computation is one side of the question. The other is the software side. It's a more complicated analysis, but... Our information about how the brain works is also growing exponentially. The spatial resolution of non-invasive scanning is doubling every year. And a lot of people say, well, it's so complicated because there's billions of different connections, ignoring the fact that there's a lot of repetition and redundancy. There's actually 300 million modules and they all work pretty much the same way. The neocortex, people thought, oh, that must be very different because that does art and poetry." uh you know compared to let's say v1 which can tell that there's a straight line in front of me uh but it actually turns out to be the same algorithm it's but they're organized in a hierarchy and we put that additional neocortex uh capacity into the top of the hierarchy and there are descriptions today i have one in, in in my book how to create a mind of Uh, roughly functionally how the human brain works, uh, how the neocortex works, that's where we do our thinking. Uh, We're going to refine that as we get more and more information about the brain. What's the downside? So we're going to keep moving in that direction. And I I believe we can have a world that's essentially free of poverty, where disease has been greatly reduced, clean up the environment, uh, have plentiful resources in terms of energy and food. Mm -hmm. The downside is, I mean, lots of movies about the downside (laughs) Um, i don't need you to tell me about what the movies do all right right. you know the ai is trying to destroy humanity and it's the humans against the artificial intelligence or the robots or it's two groups of humans fighting for control of the ai one thing that gives me comfort is we don't have one or two ais in the world we have two or three billion ais i mean a smartphone is a, an artificial intelligence. It's in fact very intelligent, and it accesses the cloud and makes it even more intelligent. And it's in billions of hands. Uh, people say well, only the wealthy can have these technologies that Kurzweil talks about, and I say, yeah, like smartphones, where you in fact had to be wealthy to have a phone, a mobile phone it wasn't very smart, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, and didn't yeah, only the cool people had mobile
1: phones, like uh, Gecko and Wall Street. There's the famous scene where he's walking on the beach and he's got that sort of shoulder-mounted yeah. mobile phone. You know? And I remember seeing say, wow, that's really cool. He's so rich, and he can just walk down the beach with a phone on his shoulder.
3: And it really didn't work very well. <laughs> and today they do a million things, uh, and they work the it, It's just incidentally a phone, right? And, they, and there's billions of them. I mean, be... so, so
1: what of the, all this talk, whether or not you initiated it, about uploading one's brain to a computer and then the computer becomes you, what do I make of this talk?
3: Well, that's not really the scenario I think will happen. uh, We've already talked about how we're going to connect to artificial intelligence. Now, we do that mostly indirectly. There are a few people that have computers connected in their brains like Parkinson's patients, but for the most part, they're not inside our brains, but they may as well be.
1: So what do you predict will happen in society the day that occurs?
3: Well, it's it's not one day. I mean, first of Of all... Of course it's not a day, but just... um, the predictions i made for today 30 years ago people thought were totally ridiculous not that it's here we can't imagine that it ever wasn't the case did we ever have a time where there wasn't social networks and mobile devices where you could access all of this knowledge and each other and uh and and so on that was only a few years ago um and so by the time these things happen we actually get used to them and they become quickly. ubiquitous very quickly and yeah. we forget that it ever wasn't the case. I mean, you can now talk to your computer and ask it questions in natural language. The, the thing is, when these capabilities emerge, they're kind of clunky and they don't work very well. So people dismiss it saying, well, it doesn't really work. Then by the time it does work well, people say, well, it's, you know, it's been doing that for a long time. It's nothing new. And so it kind of creeps up on us. Uh, computers, you know, we're going to be talking to them and they're going to get more and more sophisticated and very gradually they'll become more and more human-like uh, to a point where they're really indistinguishable. And so, You know, 100,000 years ago we couldn't reach that fruit at that higher branch, so we invented a tool that extended our physical reach. And then we invented tools that expanded our muscles. We could create pyramids and great buildings. Now we can access all of human knowledge with a few keystrokes. We're always expanding our reach. That's actually what's unique about humans. And And, and I remain fearless of that,
1: because when you look at machines replacing, in the industrial revolution, replacing physical labor, and you look at computers replacing computational labor, you know, the day we lost to Deep Blue in chess, our best chess player loses to a computer at a game that we invent. And then our best Jeopardy player loses to Watson. That was more significant.
3: Because that that was language. Jeopardy got this... Language and cultural knowledge. Yeah. Jeopardy got this query correct in the rhyme category. A long, tiresome speech delivered by a frothy pie topping. And it quickly said, what is a meringue harangue? And that's pretty impressive. Wow. Uh, And Jennings and Rudder didn't get that. And uh, Watson got a higher score than the two of them combined. They're the best players in the world. And it got its knowledge not by being programmed with all this information by the engineers, but by reading Wikipedia and several other encyclopedias, 200 million pages of natural language documents. All on its own. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I, I guess I don't fear it because it's already happening. Like you said, it we're happens, on, it's, it's we're not on, a cliff. we on that road. And it's, it's a road that yeah, we're on, and yeah. I see it and, and I embrace it, actually.
3: It's a good road. I mean, if you compare human life today with all of its problems, uh, it's far better than it was uh, in the past, and it's going to keep uh, moving in that direction. Good.
0: And it's going to keep moving in that direction. So, yeah, that was Neil deGrasse Tyson being kind of a dick (laughs) to Ray Kurzweil. (laughs) Um, You know, he's playing devil's advocate. He was trying to be uh, entertaining, I think. Um, You know, and he's probably got a little bit of an ego in there. And, you know, all these nerdy scientist guys on that level think they all know everything. But, um, hey, aren't you glad that there's Ray Kurzweils in the world? That are thinking about this stuff and doing it and bringing it into life and bringing it into reality? Um, Is, you know, are there holes in his theories? Of course. Is he right when he says that, well, you know, these things happen very slow, they kind of creep up on you over time, but when you look at how fast things have progressed in a short period of time, when Compared to the rest of human history, you can see everything is moving much, much more quickly now. And, you know, I've been talking about it. You know, this stuff's just going to keep getting quicker and faster. He's saying that the t- singularity uh, the singularity, might be here uh, in the year 2029. So, you know, we're going to find out, people, very soon how accurate Kurzweil is with his predictions. You know, are we going to merge with machines? You know, are we going to... Become gods? Immortals? Are we going to be able to just download programs into our brain and, you know, transport into some type of virtual reality world uh, inside of a computer program? Crazy, right? Who knows? Maybe this is our inevitable future. Interesting stuff. Okay, what's next? What are we going to talk about next? Um, I want to share a quote with you. Uh, this is by a Nobel Prize winning physicist, Erwin Schrödinger. Schrödinger. Quote, the total number of minds in the universe is one. In fact, consciousness is is a singularity phasing within all beings. Quite interesting. Deep thoughts. Excuse me. Oh my gosh. Uh, Let's move on to this next story. I like this story. Uh, The U.S. Navy has reportedly encountered underwater UFOs. That move incredibly fast. This is crazy. Uh, This article was by a guy named Steve Huff in, I forget what magazine, but it doesn't matter. Let's read through this. As the Pentagon gets ready to issue a landmark report in June... On UFO sightings, the U.S. Navy has revealed that military encounters with mysterious objects have not been limited to lights in the sky. The Navy has encountered unidentified submarine objects, or USOs as well, and if anything, the reports indicate these mystery machines, or whatever they are, have even more impressive abilities than previously imagined. The image up top is of an earthbound mini yacht designed by Pier Paolo Lazarini. You guys can't see it, but it's a it's a jet capsule that was uh, created by this uh, Italian gentleman. It doesn't have special powers as far as we know, and is meant for humans. That is one of Lazarini's yachts can't dive beneath the surface of the ocean, as seen in the video above, and then take off at a rate of speed that should be. Impossible. The Express reports the journal, uh, that journalist Tom Rogan, in an appearance on Fox News, blew uh, host Tucker Carlson's mind with some details about USOs. And I'm going to play that clip right now. So before I move on, take a listen to this
4: A NUMBER OF EXPERTS ON THE SHOW, PEOPLE FAMILIAR WITH FOOTAGE IN THE POSSESSION OF THE U.S. MILITARY WHO HAVE SAID THERE IS TAPE OUT THERE OF UNIDENTIFIED FLYING OBJECTS DESCENDING FROM THE SKY AND THEN DISAPPEARING INTO THE OCEAN. WELL, TODAY THAT VIDEO EMERGED. THE PENTAGON HAS JUST CONFIRMED THAT THE FOOTAGE IS REAL. YOU'RE SEEING IT NOW ON YOUR SCREEN. It was taken by the Combat Information Center aboard the USS Omaha on July 15th, 2019, off the coast of San Diego. As far as we know, the UFO in question was never recovered. There was no material indicating a crash. More than that, we don't know. Tom Rogan is a Washington Examiner columnist, well-versed in the subject. He joins us tonight. Tom, what do you think we're looking at here?
2: Uh, Well, I think we may well be looking at a a true unknown, which is to say uh, intelligently controlled uh, machinery uh, that is uh, not understood to be in the possession of the United States, China or Russia, uh, which are the most three most advanced uh, countries in terms of um, military uh, aviation. And and so, you know, the video in and of itself is, is limiting what it can tell us. But I think it speaks to uh, as the Pentagon itself has admitted, uh, this continuing uh, trend of, of truly unexplained things um, coming into the public consciousness more than they have before. If you listen to this with the sound up, you can hear
4: the guys who are monitoring this video in real right. time gasp when it seems to disappear beneath the waves. So this kind of takes the weather balloon off the table or some meteorological phenomenon off the table. I mean. Clearly, we're looking at something that is, as you just put it, being intelligently controlled, and it's going underneath the ocean and then disappearing. I mean, you're, we're sure that this could not be a foreign nation
2: in control. Yeah, I, I, that is the, yes, and that, that is why you see um, people like Senator Rubio leaning into the subject, uh, the military, Office of Naval Intelligence, which really leads the military effort researching this, um, there isn't anything that we have top secret information uh, about what China or Russia have or what we have at Area 51 uh, that can do what these things do in terms of the variable performance. And I think specifically relevant to this video uh, in the coming months and, and years, an area which we will learn more about uh, is the interaction of U.S. Navy submarines, nuclear uh, ballistic missile submarines and attack submarines, um, picking up sonar contact of things moving um, at hundreds of knots under the water. Um, and so there is a undersea dimension to this uh, that the Navy has sort of pushed off to the side as the pilots uh, talk more about their experiences. So so there's a lot more to come out, I think, is, is the best way to put it.
4: Hundreds of knots underwater. I mean, I think all of us can imagine objects moving at incredible speeds in the air, maybe even approaching... right you know, the speed of light potentially, but hundreds of knots underwater, I don't think most people can even digest that. That's been recorded?
2: Uh, that, that's what I've heard from sources, uh, very good sources, and that the Navy has the data. And one of the big things, Tucker, that I think as we move towards this um, director of national intelligence report, uh, and I do know that the various agencies are actually taking that more seriously than people might expect, uh, as is DNI, um, one of the things we're going to find is that over a period of decades, a lot of the data, uh, a lot of the, the measurement of these things um, has been put off as technical aberration uh, or essentially yeah. a data malfunction because they didn't want to really admit that something very serious and special is going on.
4: I mean, some of this behavior challenges our understanding of physics. So I, I think this is going to, it's going to change a lot of perceptions.
0: Okay, yeah, so the reason why I played this uh, video is because, you know, UFOs, we've been talking about them uh, here and there on the show, you know, ancient alien theory, are there, you know, was this planet just seeded by ancient astronauts that maybe, be, uh, you know, humans created in our own image, you know, from a distant planet. Uh, the distant past or the distant future, who knows? Maybe I don't know. I mean you would think that it's logically and rationally a reasonable possibility given how vast how, I mean the universe is, how many galaxies, how many planets there are. who knows? Who knows how many civilizations out there have already merged with machines. And have become gods. And are now traveling through the universe, seeding new planets in their own image. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that's what we're moving towards. Wouldn't that be something? (laughs) It would explain everything. It would explain science. It would explain every religion. It would explain everything. And then we could all realize that we're one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. Life is but a dream and we are just an imagination of ourselves. Here's Tom with the weather. (laughs) Today young man on acid uh, realized that all matter is just energy condensed to a controlled vibration. Maybe there's something too. all you psychonauts out there with your LSD and your DMT and your shrooms and your whatever the fuck else you guys are using to... Explore the universe these days. (laughs) Uh, But another reason, so another reason, seriously, another reason why I played that clip, though, is because uh, it was discovered by CIC on the USS Omaha. CIC stands for Combat Information Center. And that's where I worked on the USS Ogden, my fellow Americans, on an amphibious transport dock, also known as a marine taxi, I've talked about it before. And it caught my ear when I when I was listening to this clip because, you know, pretty much the guys that were doing my job, uh, the operations specialists, um, and the crypto guys, and the radio men, and whoever else. Um, was on the 01 level <laughs> or whatever level uh, we all worked on on the bridge level of the ship. Um, that was my job. So the guys that were doing my job in the Navy are the ones that that saw this. So I was obviously fascinated by this story because, you know, what if that was me? What if I was out there at sea and we, we, caught, we picked up on radar something that was moving so crazy erratically that it seemingly was defying our knowledge of physics <laughs> you know and that's what kind of technology and what kind of innovation we are going to need in order to move into this possible singularity of information future that ray Kurzweil just got done talking about neil degrasse tyson uh is hesitantly interested you know skeptical which is what scientists that's what science needs that's what reality and rational thought and logic and the scientific method is all about people. You got to take both sides into consideration. You got to understand the extremes and then find the happy medium. You know, the standard deviation, deviation from the mean, etc., etc., etc. Science. Aren't you glad we got nerds out there, people that Love science like you love, you know, social media and, you know, maybe sports, maybe fashion, maybe movies, TV, music, whatever. Whatever your vice is, whatever your passion is, right? Follow your passion, right? <laughs> but maybe, you know, maybe not follow your passion, but bring your passion with you, like Mike, R- Mike Rowe said. Anyway. Um, let's see. What else did I want to talk about? This episode... We're kind of diving deep. Oh, yeah, I wanted to finish that article. So here we go. So uh, Rogan says, relevant to this video, uh, an area we will learn more about is in the interaction between U.S. Navy submarines, nuclear ballistic submarines, and attack submarines, picking up sonar contact of things moving at hundreds of knots under the water. That's pretty terrifying. (laughs) You know? We humans and our human nature, I mean, are we going to get trigger happy about that? Are we going to... You know, come in peace. What does that mean for our possible future? Uh, To give you some perspective, one knot equals 1.15 miles per hour. So if we assume Navy data is available proving evidence of USOs traveling at a minimum of 200 knots, that's approximately 230 miles per hour. That's supercar speed. And yes, it's mind boggling. As weird as all the UFO news released in the run-up to the Pentagon report has been, it gets even weirder when public figures not known for saying crazy things chime in. Like former U.S. President Barack Obama, who said in a CBS interview that yes, there's footage and records of objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are. We can't explain how they move or their trajectory. Trajectory. They did not have an easily explainable pattern, Obama continued. And so, you know, I think that people still take seriously trying to investigate and figure out what that is. It's hard to believe that after decades of non-stop hand-waving and obfuscation, the U.S. military and the government in general, are now flat-out admitting uh, UFOs, USOs are real. That's the worst Obama impression you've ever heard. <laughs> oh, boy. It's even harder to believe that it is likely much more may come out in June when the Pentagon re- uh, presents its report. The famous X-Files slogan was apparently right all along. The truth is out there and we're about to learn it. Whew. What do you think, people? AI, robots, man merging with machine, hyperdrive, exponential growth of intelligence, being able to um, connect our front uh, prefrontal cortex and become even more rational, more intuitive, more connected, more aware and more immortal, again, I guess, apparently. I mean, the, people are saying that we're, we're living in an era where it's possible. If you can believe that, You know, is this man merging with machine, man becoming gods, AI, you know, Terminator, Matrix, you know, iRobot, whatever, etc., future, Blade Runner, you know, Tron, (laughs) you know, Black Mirror. You guys seen Black Mirror? Like, some of that stuff is so scary and eerie because it could... You realize while you're seeing... Well, you're watching those Black Mirror episodes, if you guys have seen those episodes. I I don't know if they're still up on Netflix or whatever service. Uh, had, it, had it, but I watched every single episode, and boy, I mean, that shit is fascinating to me, too. It reminds me of, like, Philip K. Dick stuff. Rem, uh, reminds me of uh, Richard Linklater, uh, the movie director's stuff. You know, Waking Life, Scanner Darkly, um, Slacker. Good stuff. Good trippy Psychonaut stuff. If you guys haven't watched uh, any of their stuff, I highly recommend it. Uh, uh, Last thing I want to talk about today is this report that... (laughs) Scientists have genetically engineered, also, the critters known as Daddy Longlegs to create a mutated version of with, well, short legs, in an effort to study how arachnids' genomes evolve over time, and why their creepy legs grow so lengthy in the first place. This article is entitled, Daddy Short Legs, and I found it interesting, and uh, I felt it pertained to the episode today, because if you're talking about gene manipulation, gene mutation, perfecting the species... You know, combining human with maybe animal, plant, whatever, genetic makeup. I don't know how the hell they're doing it, but apparently they're doing it, people. Uh, The media has largely presented the work as cute. And it may uh, may well bolster our understanding of genetics. But images of the gene-hacked monstrosities are downright disturbing. Not that the control group with no genetic modifications is exactly adorable. And they show, this article shows pictures of what they're talking about, which uh, in my opinion, they don't look that much different. I mean, one of them is colored and has shorter legs. The other one is more neutral color, black, white, gray, and has longer legs. Okay, so just to give you an idea of what I'm looking at here. Uh, the team uh, studying gene interference led by girelme Gannett from the University of Wisconsin at Madison first sequenced the genome of the bug, which was one of more than 6,000 known species of daddy longlegs called Harvestmen, which are technically close cousins of spiders. Then they used a technique called RNA interference. RNA, hmm. ribonucleic acid. Where have I heard that term recently? Oh yeah, mRNA vaccines. Hmm. They used a technique called RNA interference to quote shut off a pair of genes associated with leg development. "...in hundreds of embryos of this little critter." The grisly result, six of the Harvestman's eight legs were underdeveloped, and much shorter, as detailed in their paper published in the journal, Proceedings of the Royal Society. The limbs also lost their tersomeres, which give them the ability to grasp around sticks." The genome of the daddy long legs holds great potential to clarify the complex history of arachnid genome evolution and body plan, as well as to reveal how daddy long legs make their unique long legs, Gannett told CNET. Looking forward, we we are interested in understanding how genes give rise to novel features of arachnids. Novel. Hmm, where have I heard that word as of late? Oh yeah, novel Coronavirus, that's right, that's right. Such as spider fangs and scorpion pinchers, and also leveraging the genome to develop the first transgenic harvestmen, he added. For the arachnophobic among us, let's just hope the scientists don't end up with giant daddy long legs the next time they decide to genetically engineer the creatures. <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys enjoying the show today? Have you enjoyed the show today? I'm finally done. I think I'm done. I'm going to stop with genetically modifying spiders, okay? <laughs> oh, boy. It's a brave new... what? How do I say it? A brave new surveillance Orwellian police state totalitarian dictatorship... Uh, artificial intelligence man becoming God immortals world we are living in allegedly this has been episode 55 of the politics and punk rock podcast the future the singularity and the dark side of human nature and you know, I don't know. Maybe there's such a thing as USOs. Maybe, maybe you know, the UFOs live on a secret base in Antarctica or something like that. <laughs> Who knows? I um, hope you guys like the show today. Send me an email, andrewforamerica1984 at gmail.com. Check out the website, politicsandpunkrockpodcast.com. All the lyrics uh, that I can find I post in the blog section there, along with some other little uh, blog posts that I've written up. And uh, pretty soon I'm going to have merch there where you can buy some t-shirts and some gear, and uh, maybe hats, maybe lighters, some coffee mugs, etc., that kind of stuff. Uh, at the website, you can also donate to the show if you like the content, you want to keep me doing what I'm doing. Uh, I'd appreciate it. Throw me a couple bucks. Um, that's it. Thank you. Good night. Take care of each other out there. And <laughs> get ready, people. The future is it's going to be crazy. It's going to be... <laughs> Quite interesting. We're going to genetically modify, you know, plants and animals and humans. We're, gonna, you know, we're going to create crazy creatures. Create crazy creatures. I like that. We're going to create crazy creatures. We're gonna we're gonna merge with machines. We're gonna live forever, people. <laughs> if you can believe that. All right, guys. Thanks again. I love you guys. Good night, and we'll see you next time.